If you would please turn to the Bible to James chapter three. James chapter three, we're gonna finish up the third chapter today. Last week was homecoming. We, we weren't in James, had a guest preacher, an IMB missionary, and that was fantastic. The week before that, we started James chapter three. The week before that, we had a, another guest preacher. And so now we are back in James, gonna stay there for a little bit. Uh, walking through James, we are calling this a series of faith works, uh, playing on the, the tension in James between faith and works, and at the same time, uh, recognizing that what is the answer to life, it is faith in God, faith in Christ. That is what works, trusting him. So here we are today at James 3. These days, our lives are pretty busy and full, and we are often coming or going and changing cars and trying to see where the, uh, the, the, the fold-out chairs are because we're gonna be sitting on the sideline of a ball game somewhere, and sometimes we accidentally leave them in, in, in my car, and sometimes we accidentally leave them in, in Val's car, and uh, life gets pretty frustrating sometimes when you make bad decisions and you uh, do things like that. The other day, I was trying to get some things out of the, the, the back of the van, and I actually hit my head pretty hard on the, on the door of the van. And I turned around, it hurt, and I was doing one of those like, you know, something like that. And my kids say, what happened? And, and, and I said, man, I hit my head on this door. And they said, why? <laughs> and I was trying so hard. And I even said this to them. I said, and I'm looking for somebody to blame. I am looking for somebody to blame. And I'm so like that, and I hate that about myself. But I... I, I'm looking for somebody to blame. The other morning, I got up out of the bed, and you know, it was dark in there, and it was cold. We haven't turned on our heat yet, so it's just freezing every morning in our house right now. We're all suffering from that. And uh, I get up, and I'm cold, and it's pitch dark or whatever, and I had left my shoes right where I walk. And so in the dark, I, I tripped over that, stubbed my toe on the corner of the bed, knocked something off, so now there's this big noise that's waking up everybody in the house, and I was so mad, and, and I was looking for somebody to blame. And in all of those situations, it's, it's, it's me that is the problem. There is nobody else to blame. And that is so me, and it, and it, and it drives me crazy. And yet, I think uh, th that's just me bumping my head, and that's just me stumping my toe, so it's not too big of a deal. But I think that's really a bigger issue in my heart or life, and maybe yours too, at any time something is not the way I want it to be in my life, I'm really hoping it's somebody else's fault. I don't want it to be me that's to blame or me that is the problem. And the honest truth is, is that means I am the problem. If I had put my shoes away there, that probably would not have happened and so forth. Well, James chapter three, beginning in verse 13, asks an awesome question. Who is wise and understanding? Who really lives well? Who understands life? Who, who gets it? What lives out there are exemplary when it's all actually said? If you were to look around your life right now, are, are there some people that you wish your life was more like theirs? Is their life exemplary? And are you able to say it is because of their commitment to God or their trusting in God and his ways? This is the issue that comes up now in James. But I want us to hear from the beginning. Are we thinking 
that our life is the way it is because somebody is to blame. And if we can figure out whose fault it is and identify that and get the blame off of us, then perhaps our lives would be better. Or perhaps we could get them to stop doing what they're doing that is messing up our lives and then that we won't be messed up. Is all of that going on? Because if, it's, if that's the way we're thinking, then that means we're thinking that Christianity and our faith in Christ and our love and commitment to God is based off our lives being a certain way, then we would live for God and we would love him. And that's not what it is. Christianity is not us saying, okay, I want this in life. I mean, I really want this. I want a happy family and I, I would love to have enough money to be able to do some of the things in life. And I want this. And clearly, I don't know how to achieve that. So I'm gonna ask God to come into my life and help me do those things. That is not Christianity. That's not it. Christianity is, I don't know how to do life right. I know some things, I got good parents, got a good job, you know, I know work ethic, I can keep my word, you know. I know I'll do something. But Christianity is, I don't know how to do life right. God, you know better than me. God, I surrender to you by the way of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior who gave his life for me. I surrender, I believe you, I believe him, I trust him. Now, God, with whatever my life is, whatever it's becoming, whatever's going on, whatever the problem, with whatever my life is, lead me through it in the way that honors you. That is Christianity. And those two things, which practically lived out, looking around, looking around the room and seeing how our lives you know, are, are, have very much in common, practically lived out, they may really seem to be not very much apart. But in true faith, from God who sees what's going on inside of your heart, they could not be further apart. One worships God as the father and savior that he is and bows the knee and the heart to his reign over their lives. The other believes him and just wants him to come and help them with whatever they're trying to do. They are very much so far apart. This is what James addresses today. And he gets very practical about the fallout of those different ways of thinking. So read with me at chapter three, beginning in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make 
peace. Look at verse 18 again. This sounds unattainable to many of you. This sounds unrealistic. It seems like this would be the time to speak up and say, yeah, but, (laughs) yeah, nice one. Imagine if our lives were a harvest of righteousness. Good, honoring, correct, upright, living, produced through however we're living. That's what a harvest is, right? You sow the seed and you see what grows up. And James, hardcore James, the first letter written in the New Testament, not writing his letter based off the teachings of Paul, getting into righteousness. James says a harvest of righteousness is available. Okay, tell me. And look what he says it is. Sown in peace by those who make which means you and I need to have a big study on what creates peace. What does peace look like? And let me go ahead and say here that if it's your your characteristic to say, I've always gotta be right, then you don't know much about peace. Hey, you may be right. You may be very right. Everybody around you may think, he's always right, right? There's not a lot of peace. Would you rather be right all the time, but no peace? Or where would you rather have peace? Now, obviously, those aren't always at odds, okay? We're not gonna try to start a fight here, but sometimes they are, okay? What about having the last word? What about having the last word? If you've always got to have the last word, if the two of you always have to have the last word, then there's not a lot of peace, not a lot of peace. What about if you have to be busy? can't stop. You hate to slow down. You hate to slow down because you know what you'll see if you slow down. You know what you'll hear if you slow down. You know what you'll think if you slow down. So you won't slow down for anything. Run, 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 run. Go, 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 go. Because in the stopping, you find out who you really are and what you're struggling with. What about the silence? I make this comment all the time. Some of y'all have the TV on 24-7. Some of y'all sleep with it on. We hate the silence, because the silence does the same thing to us. And all of this is pointing out that we must be honest, there's not a lot of peace in our lives. And there's a real disconnect between the outward living that we're supposed to have from the Prince of Peace who dwells inside of us, when the Prince of Peace lives inside of us, but there's not a lot of peace in our lives. Some of y'all have not said or experienced peace in years. Peace, peace, but there is no peace, the Bible says. James is addressing this. It's interesting that James brings it up here at the end of chapter three because James just spent 12 verses hammering on speech. And I said in that sermon that perhaps in a a five-chapter letter with 108 verses that James is, a short little letter, 
that is so devoted to, you better bring the works with your faith. James is not here for anybody claiming to be Christian that is not giving effort toward living like a Christian. James says, get that out of here. Faith without works is dead, James said in chapter two. James says, you say that, but you're like the demons of the devil. They're the same way. That's what they say. That's what they claim. That's what their identity is. That's not what it's like for the people who have been adopted by God, born again by the Spirit, made alive through the power of the Spirit. They want to live out what they proclaim. They want their lives to look like Christ is real and alive in them. That's how James is. But James points out that it starts in many ways with the tongue, with our speech. And we heard that two weeks ago, and that's why I said in a book that is so much about works going along with our faith, perhaps speech is the primary work. Perhaps we can say, I need to, everything I need to know about a person and what they claim and what they believe, I can tell from their mouths. Now there are lots of other ways, but perhaps speech is the primary one. And he gives 12 verses to it. And it is coming right off of that that he then unfolds. It's not just your mouth, it's actually your whole life. And he asks this question in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? I mean, we know what the standard is in the Bible. We know it is obedience to God. It is faithfulness to Christ. We know it is a humbled heart that will confess its sins. We know that you don't have to be holy uh, on on your own strength. We know that uh, nobody is perfect in their own effort. We know that. And so it seems like there's a little bit of looseness for us to be able to just say, hey, I sin, and hey, I do bad things, and hey, that's who I am. And, you know, it seems like that's there. And James doesn't allow that. And so he asks, who's really living this wise life, this understanding life? Not from a life perspective, he gets it, but from a Godward perspective, he gets it. That's his question. So he says this in verse 13. By his good conduct, in answer to the question, by his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So beyond the speech, he says, good conduct, good conduct. Let me see somebody whose life, behavior, interaction, reaction. Let me see that And let me look at that based off of what they proclaim and profess and believe. And I'll be able to tell you who's wise. I'll be able to tell you who has understanding under the reign and truth of God, James says. And he talks about the works coming out of meekness of wisdom. What a phrase. Words that we're not used to using. Meekness and humility. Good conduct. Is it true that Christianity can be seen by our good, meek conduct? Is it the meek that really are a witness to Christ? Is it the meek with good conduct that really are wise? I thought the wise were those who knew the most and read their Bibles the most and had the most answers and could say the most things. 
here, it's this idea of good conduct based off the meekness that came through the wisdom of God. Well, listen to a few verses. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Good conduct in a believer, unbelievers that don't like it, hate it, oppose it, speak evil about those people, yet we're unfazed. We don't speak back. We don't fight back. We don't argue back. We don't try to explain ourselves away. We don't try to clear our record. One of the beautiful things about being who you are is just being who you are. Your character will take care of itself. You see this in 1 Peter 2.12. And then it says, God will get glory out of the conduct that they see. Does that mean they become believers? Does that mean God's worship through unbelievers who admire believers? That's 1 Peter 2.12. But here's another one that you know more familiar, but I just want to get the point. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. James is saying that for the person that truly believes and their faith is working out in their lives in the, in the every little thing that they do, their conduct is changed by that. And, and, and what he describes it as is a conduct that has been turned into meekness based off the wisdom of God, the understanding of God, the ways of God. It's a beautiful thing. In verse 14, he contrasts it. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Sometimes it's helpful to define something. And sometimes one of the easiest ways to define something is by telling you what it's not. That's what James does here. If you were kind of struggling a little bit with meekness and wisdom, it's not bitter jealousy. It's not selfish ambition. It's the good conduct based off meekness and wisdom. So let's look at these two, bitter jealousy. Y'all, the, the, the word bitter comes off of uh, polluted water. You ever drank something that had spoiled? You ever put something in your mouth that you shouldn't have put in your mouth and it's like, that's this word. That's a, that's a word picture, if you will, of your heart. Bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. And then the other one is selfish ambition. With bitter jealousy, listen, I think we're talking about me sinning 
when I'm thinking about you, I'm coveting. I wish I had your life. I wish my life was more peaceful like yours. I wish my family was more like yours. I wish my income was more like yours. I wish my vacations were more like yours. I wish everything was more like yours. I'm just not happy with who I am or I'm not happy with who God made me. And so I am jealous of you. I am bitterly jealous of you. This is a characteristic of not following the wisdom of God. This is worldliness. This is worldly wisdom. It is us sinning, thinking about them. Selfish ambition then, on the contrary, would be me sinning, thinking about me. Why am I not that? I deserve that. I should do this, and here's how I'm gonna go about that, right? So if bitter jealousy is me sinning because I'm thinking about you in the wrong ways, selfish ambition is me sinning because I'm thinking about me in the wrong ways. In other words, we're not in godly wisdom. There's a problem here. And James calls it like it is, and he says, if that's what you are, it's not meekness and wisdom. If that's what you are, stop boasting about being in Christ and stop being false to the truth because you're not a Christian and you're not following Christ and you're not walking in his ways. Or if you are, you're not going at it by the way God tells you to, which is his wisdom. You're being false to the truth. To say that we follow Christ and yet not look to him for the way to handle situations and instead be bitterly jealous or be selfish ambit- selfishly ambitious, it is a contradiction to the truth. Truth points us to wisdom. Truth points us to wisdom that produces meekness. Truth points us to wisdom that produces meekness that in turn produces a good conduct. If it's not that, then it's worldly wisdom. And based off who your parents were, who your bosses were, who your coaches were, your life is probably full of lots of worldly wisdom. Like when Jesus says, turn the other cheek. And you're proud that you don't turn the other cheek. You are more than ready to punch somebody. You're more than ready to snap back if they snapped at you. You're more than ready, matter of fact, quick to insult back. Hey, don't nobody talk about my kids that way, I'm sorry. Hey, you can talk about me all you want to. You start talking about my kids, boy, you about to see bad side of me. Christians talk like that, and they're proud of it because they think that's defending their, their family. Bull, worldly wisdom. You turn your butt around, get back in the house, and start disciplining your kids and get your life together. This is worldly wisdom. We could go on and on. I don't take nothing off nobody. People talk like this. They think this is Christianity. They think it's meekness and wisdom, and it's not. It doesn't produce peace. We know people, we know Christians in town, in the neighborhood, on the street, in the South End, in churches that don't talk, don't see eye to eye, can't get along. And the reason is not because they're both dogs and the worst people in the world, it's because they're not gonna let that other person be right. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I can't take a loss. Uh-uh, I'm not gonna let them have the word, I just can't do it. It's worldly wisdom. Who taught you that? Who raised you that way? What church discipled you to be that way? That ain't the way of Christ. There's a godly wisdom that reaps, reaps righteousness. It harvests righteousness because it is peace sowing peace that knows how to take a punch and I'm gonna keep on striving for peace. I don't fight everybody that fights me. I don't win every argument. That's Christianity. Jesus lived his whole life 
Everybody had him wrong. Everybody misunderstood him. Everybody said the wrong things about him. He just kept on going. Nobody doubts him now. He reigns on high. He took it all the way to death. He's our savior. He's God. He's a beautiful picture of it. So we have this here, this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition that James says in such a strong way is false to the truth. Bitter jealousy can be described as harsh and resentful attitude toward others. We should be happy for them. We should be glad. We should want to build others up. We should be thankful for them. We don't live in this comparison game. God, our Father, loves us, and he is working in each of our lives. If somebody else gets the job promotion or, or something like that, then we can celebrate them. There's no selfish ambition here. There's no bitter jealousy here. There should not be. Selfish ambition sees it as divisive. We have to be right. We have to get the attention. And if somebody gets more attention than us, it bothers us. Why, 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 we ask. What about me? What about me for once? Selfish ambition. These attitudes are false to the truth. Douglas Moo says, it is our acts of obedience to God performed consistently day after day that make up this good conduct of the wise person. It's a picture of putting your hand to the plow and staying the course and walking the straight and narrow, of course not in your own strength, by faith in Christ, albeit difficult, but good conduct is the person who is doing that because they are trusting in Christ. Their lives aren't any better than anybody else's. Their struggles aren't any uh, simpler than anybody else's necessarily, but they understand that the God they're believing in loves them, and so they will trust him and his ways and his plans. Moo goes on to say this. James' insistence that wisdom is to be tested by the kind of life one lives is in keeping with the idea of wisdom in the Old Testament. We've got wisdom books in the Old Testament. We've got the book of Proverbs. We have Ecclesiastes. We have Song of Solomon. We've got the book of Job, right? There's a lot of wisdom there. And he says James is very much so in line with that. Wisdom, he says, please remember, begins with the fear of the Lord. That's where it starts, Proverbs 1.7, Proverbs 9.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is no getting wise. And I appreciate the ways that we're raised. And I've got parents that taught me a lot of good things. But starting to be wise like God starts with fearing God, bowing our knee to him, believing him, trusting in him. God knows best. God, I need your direction. God, help me think through this. God, help me to understand it. God, I don't know what to do. God, I surrender to you. I need to pray about this. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, help me. That is the attitude. Starts with God. Wisdom, we remember, begins with the fear of the Lord. It enables us to discern what is right and just. How might we figure out what is right and just if we do not have our knees and our hearts bowed down to God? God, this situation is difficult. This decision I have to make is challenging. It's upsetting me. I, I, my stomach's been upset. I can't sleep at night, God. I'm in a hard way to go. Please, God, don't fix it. Show me what you want me to do. Show me what is honoring in this situation. That's wisdom. It also leads us to walk in the ways of good men and to keep the paths of righteousness. In stark, listen to this, in stark contrast to this biblical perspective, there were certain Greek ideas of wisdom which prized intellectual ability 
and knowledge of secrets. Sometimes, listen to this, to the detriment of moral life. Is it any wonder that we see moral decay because we get further and further away from asking, what does God want me to do in this situation? The situation that I found myself in, the situation that you are in right now, cannot improve for God's sake without asking God, what does it look like to move forward in this situation? How do I honor you with this? God, what do you want me to do? So in understanding what good conduct, meekness, and all of that is, and wisdom, he starts by telling what looks like opposition to the truth, which is bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. In verse 15, as we move on, it says, this is not the wisdom from above. It's not it. It's not. Okay, well, where does that come from? Okay. I said earlier it was bull. Look what he says it is. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. This is the second time now. He did it in chapter two. He does it in chapter three. Second time now that James mentions worldly thinking, worldly wisdom. Here's how I see it. This is how I thought. That's how I've always been raised or seems right to me. James mentions worldly wisdom in line with the devil. He did it in chapter two and he does it now. That's demonic. Notice that he's not talking necessarily about you know, atheism or devil worshiping or satanic type of lifestyle. He's just talking about you trying to do life what you think is best. That is wrong. It's not meaning here that we're the worst people in the world and that we're out there doing horribly terrible things. It means we're out there trying to do this life without God's wisdom. That is demonic. And can we be honest about that? Can we be honest that every person in this room leaves here today full of a life that has so much heavy burden in it? And can we recognize that so much of our struggles is because we have not looked to God and said, God, what do you want us to do here? Sometimes he'll, feel, he'll fix it, sometimes he'll bring healing, and sometimes he won't. But no matter what, he can give peace on the inside of us as we navigate through this, always remembering this is not our home. Heaven's not that far away. I will trust him. But notice that he uses three big terms here, earthly and spiritual and demonic. On the kids' listening page, and I hope some of you kids have the listening page, we just put, under godly wisdom and worldly wisdom, three characteristics. And we've got several here, right? We've got, we've got bitter jealousy, we've got ambition, we've got earthly, we've got unspiritual, we've got demonic, and now we're about to move on to the godly wisdom and see several characteristics too. So while we just asked for three spots on there, kids, you can put many. So look at verse 15. He wants us to see that's not from God. I remember one time in high school, and when you're a high school Christian, you don't have it all together. You got a lot figured out, but you got a lot you haven't figured out. And even with knowing a lot of the right things because you've been taught or discipled a little bit, you don't have enough life experience now to navigate hard situations. And I'll never forget when I found myself in some uh, high school drama, and there was this going on, fighting, and all this kind of stuff happening, and, uh, 
I remember somebody in, in defense of somebody else, they blew up and in, front, in the cafeteria in front of hundreds of people, it just got real nasty. And I appreciated their effort to try to make the situation better and to defend somebody and have their back and all of that. But it was ugly. And so afterward, I went to them and I said, hey, I appreciate that. That was, I appreciate it. But I don't think that's what God wanted us to do. I don't think that was a Christ-honoring response. And I'll never forget them saying to me, and we were both way in the wrong, but I'll never forget them saying to me, I don't care what God wanted me to do. I was there to speak up. And you know, many of us take that response a lot. Hey, I don't care what my neighbor thinks. This is what I'm saying. Hey, I don't care how it makes you feel. I ain't doing it. I don't care what you want me to do. I, I ain't doing it. We see it all the time. And can we hear from James that that sounds earthly? That sounds just like what any old man would do who thinks he's right in so many directions that he don't care about being right in any other directions because he thinks that on the scale of being a good person, he's done enough good that he's a good person. That is earthly. That is demonic. That is unspiritual. The wisdom of God says we bow our hearts and knees to God for everything. We never say I did nine good things today, so I've got room over here for one bad thing. That is the way lost people think that don't give a rip about living their lives for the Lord Jesus Christ that died for their sins. That's the truth. We surrender all to Christ. And if we have to eat crow, we eat crow. And we have to admit that we're wrong, we admit that we're wrong. If we have to just be quiet, we have to be quiet. That's what it means to live with the wisdom of God. Well, from there, he builds on it. Verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So he admits that you're not gonna get righteousness or godliness or goodness from things that aren't God. When Val and I started having children and they started coming kind of like that every year, it weighed on us pretty heavy that like babies are sweet and cute and going to the zoo is so much fun, but they'll be adults soon. And that gets heavy. And parenting is the clearest way in my life that I recognize what I put into it is often what I get out of it. Now, I'm not saying it's a one-for-one -one ratio. You know that. We've all lived long enough to know that. But I am saying that when I'm rude and snappy and selfish and angry, we got seven people that are rude and snappy and selfish and angry. When I'm lazy and I don't wanna do the chores, we end up with a bunch of people that are lazy and don't wanna do the chores. And in a real sense, James is saying, this is the world. If you wanna take the worldly wisdom of jealousy and ambition 
and say you're Christian, yet you live like that, there will be disorder and there will be every vile practice. You know what you do when you see that something's disordered? You waste no time. You get in there and you get it back to order. And sometimes it takes a day and sometimes it takes a week and sometimes it takes 20 years. But if something is in disorder, you better get it in order. You know what you do when you see a vile practice? You go clean it up. If you came home and your dog pooped all over the kitchen and you don't clean it up, something's wrong. If you're living your life and there's vile practice all over it. And you're coming here to church. And you're not trying to clean it up. Something's wrong. I like James. We've been saying this since chapter one. James wants us to look in the mirror and see foolishness. If we're going to claim the truth of God working in our lives and yet disorder Verse 17, he finally flips back to the good side. He says, but the godly wisdom from above is first pure. And he gives us all these descriptors. Man, they're good. He gives us all these descriptors, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. All of that in verse 17. It kind of sounds like, if you will, the list of the fruit of the Spirit, does it not? Did any of you all think that? In Galatians 5, the Apostle Paul writes that the, the works of the flesh are all of these things, and he lists off all of these disorderly, vile practices. And then in Galatians 5, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit in your life produces this fruit, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Well, James says here that it's pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. Several of those, multiple of those, are exactly from Galatians 5. So let's think about this for a second. What Paul says the Spirit produces... James says the wisdom of God produces. In other words, the spirit of God builds us up inside to look to the wisdom of God. What Paul says the spirit produces, fruit, James says the wisdom of God produces. They're very similar. That's helpful to us. In other words, the Holy Spirit looking in us, convicting, working in us, convicting us of our sins, pointing us to Christ is doing that. We know what pure means, no error in it, nothing that defiles it. Peaceable could also be described as considerate. Gentle also could be described as submissive in some of your translations. In other words, they can take it. They're not harsh. They're not seeking revenge. Y'all, in a worldly way, all of us have things we could go get venge, revenge on right now. All of us. And it's just, are we gonna believe the wisdom of God that it's not worth it, that it's not right? It's not the right thing to do. And it's just so shallow. If it is Christianity, it's so shallow to claim Christ and live with worldly wisdom. And James is trying to get us to see that. Open to reason is easily persuaded for believers, which he's talking to, would mean persuaded by God. God, your way is the best way. 
God, I can trust you. It's not really what my flesh is wanting me to do, but I'm gonna do what you want me to do. Full of mercy is a concern for others. Full of good fruits is an obedient life that sees good healthiness come out of it. Impartial and sincere speaks to being consistent, not hypocritical. Who you are on Sunday morning is who you are on Friday night. Who you are in front of strangers is who you are at home when nobody sees. How you talk at work is how you talk to God. These are the things that worldly wisdom produces, meekness and good conduct. What a list. And then we get back to verse 18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Several years ago when I was a youth pastor here, a long time ago, we had a young man that was attending church that was struggling in school and we had talked to the school a few times and he was having a hard time and they kept talking about his potential and he was a smart kid and all that and they kept saying he's just, he's just struggling with his grades and, and all of that and they finally identified that he wasn't sleeping much at night. He, he had to make runs to the grocery store sometimes at midnight. He was late to school a lot of the time because he had overslept and he was hovering around the C and D uh, with his grades and it was bad and the school was concerned and they kept reaching out and different people, was, you know, family was getting contacted we were getting contacted, we were trying to figure this out and his, his grades just weren't there. It was gonna mess up his ability to go to college and all that. Finally, uh, he ended up moving into a different situation, moved into a different household and within a semester he was back to making all A's. And I'll never forget the principal or system of principal saying all he needed was a better structure. All he needed was a better setting. All he needed was a better environment. We knew that he was not the problem. The problem was so much else around him. We knew that, and it proved to be true there. And y'all hear that, and you think, yep, that's it. If I get all these idiots out of my life, I'll finally start living for God. But see, that's not reality. Most of these idiots are ourselves, at least with me. I'm always looking to blame somebody else, and it's me. Or most of these people that are making our lives so hard are our family or our friends or our neighbors, and they're saying the same thing about us. See, the problem is not our circumstances so much. Sometimes it is, and I hope you could do something about that. If you're hanging out with the wrong crowd, then you need to stop hanging out with the wrong crowd. Bad company corrupts good morals. I mean, that's pretty simple. If you got a foul, dirty mouth, because you're always with people who have a foul and dirty mouth, then I'd stop being around people with a foul and dirty mouth. If you're looking at porn because everybody else in your life looks at porn, then I'd, I'd stop doing that. I'd get away from them. I mean, that's pretty simple. But you're gonna learn real quick, that doesn't fix it. The circumstances around me aren't what fixes it. As James pointed out, that Jesus points out, my tongue issue, which is so much more than my conduct issue, my tongue issue was a heart issue. You remember me saying that two weeks ago. Everything that came out of my mouth came off my heart, and that's pretty ugly. Ugly, foul, stinky words come off ugly, foul, stinky hearts. That's the words of Jesus. Stop making excuses. 
And we get here to verse 18, and it says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And we get back to saying, is that realistic? Can there be a climate of peace? Can there be a culture of peace? You ever spent time with somebody for a day or for an evening or for a week and you thought, this was so nice. For those few hours or for that afternoon, man, there wasn't any bickering, any fighting. It was just nice, enjoyable. What was it about that person that, that created that? What is it about them? Did you notice that perhaps they listened a little more than they talked? Did you notice that they didn't say anything that would come across as unnecessary or over the top or judgmental or harsh. James has in mind a climate of peace and a culture of peace. But do you remember in Jesus' Matthew 5, 6, and 7 in the Sermon on the Mount? Do you remember that? Remember the Beatitudes, those first 12 verses? Remember when he gets to verse nine and he says, blessed are the peacemakers. And he says that there are people out there that like to create peace. Well, I want you to think about that for a moment. What does it look like to create peace? If you walk into the living room and the not peaceful person is there, and you know they're wanting to make the comments and start the argument or start the insults or start the harshness or the severity of comments or whatever it is. What does it look like in that setting to create peace? Ignore it? Deflect it? Walk away? Start over? Kill it with kindness? Blessed are the peacemakers. But perhaps we're not very good at making peace because we don't have peace inside of us. Maybe, maybe if we're being real, the bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is more realistic to who we are. And that's where Jesus comes in. The Bible says that when we surrender to Christ, we turn to him for forgiveness. He forgives us of our sins and he gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding. He makes peace between us and God. You know, there's so many things that Billy Graham is famous for. Perhaps the very best thing that Billy Graham said and it was in his famous track and he has a book on it, Steps to Peace with God. You've heard that before. Peace with God? If there's anybody out there that's doing it better than we are, it's God. And if there's anybody else that sees us as problematic and dramatic and not peaceful, it's God when he sees us. And yet that God says he welcomes us by the forgiveness of sins. The sweet, fatherly, tender, gentle, merciful heart of God. That calloused, bitter, jealous, selfish, ambitious people like us are invited into his presence and he receives us because of Christ. Because his son took all of that. 
to trust in Christ is to receive the peace of God on the inside, to have peace with God in your heart. And to have peace of God in your heart is to start you in the life of being a peacemaker. And being a peacemaker creates a culture and climate of peace. And a culture and climate of peace will harvest righteousness. That's the wisdom of God. And on the opposite end of that is the worldly wisdom that will bring disorder and vile conduct. May God help us to set our hearts on Christ and walk in God's wisdom. Father in heaven, we thank you for the book of James. We thank you, God, for the way James has been honest and upfront with us. Father, we desire that there would be a harvest of righteousness among us. We desire that there would be peace in our lives. Father, there is peace with God through Jesus. And we pray that we would trust that. Father, may we be honest about disorder and vile practice in our lives. May we call it what it is and not make excuses. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And may we turn to you. God, help us. In Jesus' name we pray.